I love when we record at night so we can drink. Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where you watch your favorite rom-coms to decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched Kissing Jessica Stein, which came out in 2001, question mark, and um, stars uh, Jennifer Westfeld. I was going to say Jessica Stein. That's not her name. Um, it stars Jennifer Westfeld and Helen Jurgensen. It was also Have, co- No, Carrie. <laughs> It stars Jennifer Westfeld and Heather Jurgensen playing Jessica and Helen because they go. also wrote the movie. And I right. appreciate that they have the same level of creativity as I do, which is they just changed their names very slightly. Yeah. It has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was written by those two women we just mentioned and directed by Charles Herman Wormfeld, who is the same director as Red, Legally Blonde, Red, White, Blonde. So an American rom-com hero. Yes. Um, yeah, they wrote it originally as like an off-Broadway show, their old friends, they made it for very little money, basically used like their family's homes and apartments to film in. Um, and their unfamous the, at the time partners like John Hamm. Yes. So I think Tova, Tova Feldshun, who plays, um, Jennifer Welfare, yeah, Jessica Stein's mother, like, did it for free because um, Jennifer Westfeld was her assistant at one point. Um, That's lovely. Yes, she tells a lovely story. I went, I found, like, trivia and stuff, and she tells a lovely story about how when her father was dying, um, Jennifer Westfeld, like, showed up at the hospital and was like, I just didn't want you to be alone. And from that point on, Tova Feldshun said, like, she would basically do whatever Jennifer ever needed. And so she played her mother in this movie. And like, maybe one of my favorite parts of this movie was that character. The mama. Yeah. Um, Yes. We've talked about Jennifer Westfeld before. She is sort of a modern day Nora Ephron. There was a lot about this movie that was Ephronian, which if that's not a word in film, it fucking should be. Mm hmm. Um, I literally like when I finished watching this movie, I was like, I like put on Louis Armstrong and like cooked yes. myself dinner and like just like felt like a single lady. Yeah, Jeff made that observation too. He was like, the music is really like eliciting like sleepless feelings for me. Ephronian, we're making it canon. Yeah. Yes. Um, we've talked about her before when we talked about friends with kids. We are doing the Jennifer West. Jennifer Westfeld also has a trio of rom-coms similar to Nora Ephron. Um, I mean, the movies are not similar, but they both have this like trio of famous rom-coms. And we, I think, did both of them out of order. But yeah. this one we're doing. We watched Friends with Kids, which is her latest one. Then we watched this, which was her first one. Eventually, we'll watch Ira and Abby, which is the one in the middle. Right. Yes. And I had never seen this movie. I uh, have, but I had, as I'm watching this, I was like, I'm a hundred percent sure I've watched this. I have no memory of it. I had a memory I, of John Hamm on a train that never came to fruition. Weird. Maybe he's an Iron Abbey on a train. But I remembered him like in the late nineties with like late nineties hair. Like maybe he's an Iron Abbey on a train. Cause he's not even know. really in this movie very much at all. Like he's in a scene. 
the only one he's really in is friends with kids because uh, he wasn't famous for this or Iron Abbey. Mm, maybe Iron Abbey was like right as Mad Men was starting, but he was not. She was much more successful for him than he was for the first half of their relationship. And then Mad Men happened. Yeah. Did that have anything um, to do with their breakup? I have no idea. I don't know them, but I do speculate. Um, I had kind of a totally different understanding about what this movie was about. Um, okay let's say what it's about and then you say your understanding of it okay so this movie is about jessica stein she is a sort of in the ephronian tradition um a uptight yuppie in new york yeah um you know 20 to 30 something i think at one point they say she's like 28 yeah, works in a newspaper, um, can't keep a man, and her mother, she's Jewish, her mother's very distraught about her ability to keep a man. Um, can't find the right man, like, they're into her, she's just, no- like, it's not yes. so much that she can't keep a man as she's annoyed by all men, she, in a way that I, think, I really relate to. I think, like, it's fair to say she's, um, she's uptight, she's a bit of a perfectionist, she's very... Um, I don't think she's not a bit of her. She is a perfectionist. She is very afraid of not, she is in a, something I relate to. Like she is a high achiever. She doesn't want to do something unless she's going to do it like exactly right. Um, and so when her relationships or the people that she's dating have flaws, she moves on very quickly. Um, so on sort of a whim, she answers a personal ad in the women seeking women section of the newspaper it was placed there by a woman named helen right yes the heather her real name is heather heather right um placed there by a woman there the weirdest car sound i've ever heard in my life just past my street um it was like a it was like alien so if i get abducted it's been real um I'll carry on with the podcast. (laughs) The people need to know if this movie holds up. So Helen, on the other hand, is like a very free spirited. She like is a curator for a gallery. She is not religious, not Jewish, um, has a very like eclectic group of friends. She fucks men just left, right and center. She has three different men in the rotation. Right. For her. Michael Early. For her sessual needs. And then two others we never like Margaret Michael Early shows up like in two or There's three. There's an scenes. older man who There's an older man once. for when she wants to go out to dinner. She says it once in a really good line. In the Ephronian tradition, this has a lot of good one-liners. There's like yes. one who she wants when she wants to go out to dinner, one who she wants when she wants to get fucked. And one, I forget what the third one was. Like when and she he, needs emotional connection, I think, or something like that. Something yeah. like that. The only one we see more than once is Michael Early. Um, and she tells her she's her like best friend confidant is this gay couple. And she tells them that she's going to try and date women. So she places this personal ad. She's never dated women before, but she's going to place this personal ad. Helen. No, Jessica Stein answers it on a whim and they embark on a relationship and all of the things that that means for two women who have never embarked on, um, a lesbian relationship. I Helen has had at least sexual relationships with women. Oh, I just no. 
No. She says okay. she's never been with a woman. And her friend okay. and her remember there's a whole fight with her friend where he's like, You're straight. You've never been with women. Yeah. She sucked. We'll, we'll dig into. We will unpack that load of bullshit. But I do think she would like if you asked her her sexuality. I mean, maybe in 2001, we'd, we'd only say like gay, straight, or bi. She'd say bi. Both of these women are. Whereas she, I, Jessica would be like, I'm straight. I'm just like seeing when, like, when the yes, facts are both. She definitely is like effect. more open to diving into this exploration than Jessica is. She, need, she needs no encouragement, whereas Jessica does. Um, and I for whatever reason had in my head that it was like these two women happen to become friends and Helen is a lesbian and like there is the like that's hanging over them as like a will they won't they thing but they never actually have a relationship and it's very kind of like is this straight lady lady gonna be a lesbian um I thought that's what we were doing here. That is not at all what this is. This is no, very it's about much two women in a relationship. They have yes, sex. and they, they like have a full relationship, and they like embark on like they go into it knowing that that's what's happening. It's not like they become friends and then it's like a should we also be like together? Should we also be in a relationship? Like they embark on this like we're gonna be in a re- we're, or we're gonna date or whatever. Yes. The more serious relationship comes down the line. Um, I had a similar notion of what this movie was, despite again, having seen it recently, maybe I was not paying attention. (laughs) I paid attention this time, but, and I also thought it was going to be a story of like straight woman tries out lesbianism and then like ultimately ends up with a man, which sort of is what this movie is, but I think it's more nuanced. Like, I don't think anyone in the making of this movie would describe either of these women as straight like I think it's actually a much more sort of like nuanced and earnest exploration of these two women's sex particularly Jessica Stein's sexuality in a way that like in 2001 I'm not sure we were talking like there was part of I wrote down like this movie understands like pansexuality and lipstick blending way ahead of its time (laughs) like yeah we thought you could only wear one lipstick at a time and we thought you could only either you were gay straight or bi those were the only three options there was no like gradation and even bisexuality was sort of like just a pit stop on the way to being coming out as gay like right this sort of idea that someone can be attracted to any and all genders and again like this movie doesn't really touch on uh like the non-binariness of gender but like the idea that you can have a spectrum of attraction to a variety of different people and you and like you don't have to choose gay or straight well and also that like you can seek out different things from different people like i on the heels of watching this i started the show hacks um oh oh love it and the younger character in that describes her sexuality as she finds herself far more intellectually and emotionally attracted to women but on occasion craves penetrative sex with men and i think she's like straight up is like i just want to get fucked by a dick and i was like oof (laughs) i felt that (laughs) it was a line where i was like oh i hear that very hard (laughs) i think there's there's an extent to which like this movie is doing that in a far less raunchy way where it's like there 
are things that these women are like Jessica ultimately spoiler alert ultimately the, the this this relationship does not work out they they have a long very like serious relationship it doesn't work out and part of the problem is that Jessica and Helen are best friends and they very much fulfill each other emotionally intellectually mentally all of that but very different <laughs> sexual ones yes and I think they have very different sexual attractions. I think that like, ultimately there is an element of this story that's about the fact that not Helen so much, but Jessica like is attracted to the like emotional relationship with a woman, but is less attracted to the physical relationship with a woman. And I think that again, like you were saying, like that is not a conversation we were really at least as far as, I mean, granted, I was like 14 in 2001, so I wasn't really having any of these conversations, but I don't know that it was in pop culture, in the zeitgeist, a conversation we were having, these nuances of like, you can crave one thing from one person and another thing from another person, and that your sexuality can be any combination of those things, and really like, you get to define what that looks like. Well, and to be fair to 12 year old me and 14 year old you in 2001 that's the age when I mean people are different some people discover their sexuality at four some people don't discover it until later in life but like 12 and 14 is when you're going through puberty and starting to think other people are attractive and starting to think about sex so in that way it is sort of a time when sexuality is coming to you right and I don't know that when I was going through puberty, if I had any understanding that there was an option other than gay and straight. Right. And I remember a girl, my freshman year of college telling us she was bisexual and behind her back, everyone was sort of like myself included, probably was sort of like, she's probably just a lesbian and not ready to fully say it, which like, maybe that was true, but also like, maybe she was a bisexual and we were being a bunch of dicks. Like, I, I think I think you're right. I think we were the perfect age to sort of know if people were talking about that because I think and would hope that kids, teenagers and kids starting to go through puberty now have a better understanding of like, oh, maybe I'm attracted to many different genders and attracted to them in different ways and want to, like, I do think we've advanced as far as the way we talk about the spectrum of sexuality and the spectrum of gender in a way that like when I was puberty, I was like, I like, I was like, am I a lesbian? I don't think so. And never had the, never had any context to be like, maybe you're many different things. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I just think that this, this movie was, it, like, it seemed way ahead of its time watching it now. Yeah. Because- I also liked it a lot more than I expected because I think I expected to be like kind of turned off by this you used the phrase before we started recording of like queer baiting of this like mm-hmm. like we're gonna put a straight woman like maybe in a gay relationship but like never actually have it happen and this was not that this was more like a a meditation on like what does a relationship look like and also like what does exploring your sexuality and allowing yourself to explore your sexuality mean for a woman who's never really given herself the freedom to explore anything other than like the sort of playbook of what she's been told her life should look like. I mean, there's a scene where they like walk past a group of Hare Krishnas and Jessica like judges 
them. And Helen says like, well, that's what they do for happiness. Like, what do you do for happiness? And Jessica says, nothing. I, I don't, I'm not happy. It, I, and- I cackled nothing. I wrote it down. Cause it's truly, um, what do you do to be happy? Nothing. I'm not, I laughed out. I was like, that was so sad. And so real. <laughs> it was. And, and, and I think like, like, I'm not happy. I don't do anything to be happy. Like, Jessica, this character of Jessica Stein, she is sort of like the quintessential like 90s, early aughts rom-com character. She has been sold this bill of goods of like what her career should look like, what her love life should look like, what by 28 she should have, you know, like what, what, what boxes she should have checked. And she is living her life in pursuit of that. And when she starts to sort of strip away the like oh, I'm, I may not be with a man. I, you know, like then it, it starts to pull the threads of all of the rest of her life. Um, and that is really interesting in a rom-com. Like I kind of started out in this movie. I was like, oh God, cause there's this like sad, you know, the kind of classic, like sad single lady montage at the beginning where she's like eating cold Chinese and like drinking wine and drinking coffee and then immediately drinking wine and the montage right. did not make it clear if the a day had passed or if she was just like here's where I am yeah either and, way I respect it and she's got this like real like neurotic like you know kind of like Sally Albright sort of energy and I was like I, I she's a lot like I'm not sure like if we're just gonna do the same old sort of like late nineties, early aughts rom-com where we got this sad single lady and then she figures, you know, she finds love and everything's right. Like I'm bored, but that's not what this was at all. It was really more about this woman sort of like beginning to unpack the rom-com and be like, Oh, that's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I figure out that that's not real, what else is not real? Um, and so this turned, I ended up liking this movie far more than I expected I was going to. I did too. I've had a, a long week. I texted Carrie and I was like, do I want to watch this movie? <laughs> I'm tired. And I have, a, I've been rewatching season nine of Real Houses of Atlanta. And I just got to the reunion, which if you know, you know, is, uh, you know, when they find out that it was actually Phaedra that put it in Portia's head that Candy and Todd were trying to drug and, uh, take advantage of her which we know was a lie anyway I like wanted to get to that whole thing justice for candy it's a great uh season of television if you haven't watched it but I was like I just want to finish watching this incredible iconic historic Real Housewives reunion and Carrie was like no no it's good watch it and then it was and it was yeah delightful yeah yeah I mean because the performance is like I I really don't know Heather Jurgensen from anything do I no, I don't either. She has not had, I mean, I try to figure out what happened. Like if they had an amicable, like writing partner split, if anything nasty went down, you can't tell. Uh, it, but she is, as far as I know, not a part of, I mean, she's definitely not a part of friends with kids and I don't think Ira and Abby either. So she's great in this. Like she's very, she's great. And the, all the other performances, I mean, um, who who else do we got? We have Jackie Hoffman, New York comedy legend. Great. Again, John Hamm for half a second does nothing. We'll discover in a few years that he's great. Um, what well, the name of the mother, which Toba Felchin. Max Medina as her ex-boyfriend slash he's still into her. 
Um, his real name is, is his real, just so like we are all clear. His real name is Scott Cohen. The actor's name is Scott Cohen. He plays Max Medina on Gilmore Girls. From this point forward, we'll be referring to him as Max Medina. Wasn't he also, correct me if I'm wrong, was there not a TV movie when we were children, like a like a five-week ABC Family special where he played some sort of like wolf man and had a tail? Yes. I think it was in like an Alice in Wonderland situation, maybe. Because I remember when he then showed up on Gilmore Girls, I was like, the wolf guy, but then he forever became Max Medina. I really, at one point watching this movie, where I was like, he cannot win when he falls in love with neurotic borderline annoying women like Lorelai leaves him at the altar this woman leaves him for a woman or not leaves him for a woman they weren't dating but like chooses a they woman dated the backstory is like they dated in college he was friends with her brother right played by uh, a man whose name I do not Jesus know but Christ. who is in a classic episode of Lawn and SVU why did you just shout Jesus Christ I think he was also in a classic episode of Criminal Minds so probably New York, New York Broadway stage the, actor. The episode of uh, SVU he's in, he plays a man who's like a woman's killed. And he finds out he's like at first thought that he killed her because she was his ex-girlfriend who had a kid. But it turns out he didn't know any of that stuff and turns out it was his soon to be ex-wife. But basically then the episode devolves into like this kid was adopted and does he get custody of this child he never knew existed, but like he's a good father and, you know, would raise the kid well, or do you let the kid stay with his adoptive parents who have, who are very good parents and have raised him well? Long story short, it's fucking miserable because the kid <laughs> ends up going with his father who you're like, well, he's going to be a good dad, but his adoptive parents. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that episode doesn't hold up, but that's where I know that actor. <laughs> yeah, I think based on the fact that he was in, because I, I bet if we went to his IMDb, he's in several episodes of Law and Order. I bet he's a, he's a New York stage actor. But guess how many IMDb credits Scott Cohen has? Probably like also a known as Max Medina. Guess. Price is right rules. I bet if it's not over, it's close to 100. Yeah, 111. He is one of those actors where he shows up in things and you go, oh, sure, that guy. Or if you're a woman who was a teenager in the years of Gilmore Girls, you go, Max Medina. Right. You deserve yeah. better. And I'm sorry, oh. Lorelai did that to you. When he showed Lorelai's up in this, I was like, person. when he showed up in this, I was like, oh, sure. And because he's Max Medina and because he's fucking charming as hell, I gave him a lot more leeway in this movie than he deserved. Same, because all I think of when I see him is that scene in Gilmore Girls after he and Lorelai have broken up. And he sees Rory at school and she says, I really wanted you to be my stepfather. And he says, I really wanted to be your stepfather. <laughs> so beautiful. He deserved, I hope, Max Medina ends up with the hottest, nicest wife. <laughs> Hotter than Lorelai. It's not hard to be nicer than Lorelai. She's a, not a good person. Uh, wow. Carrie. Not, no, the three main women of that show, all bad people. None of them, none of them good. The Tenth Kingdom. What is the Tenth Kingdom? Where he played a wolf? The mini series where he played literally is credited as Wolf. <laughs> What's it about? A father and daughter are caught in a parallel parallel universe where the great queens Snow White, Cinderella, and Red Riding Hood the Third. Sure, of course. Why are the other two first generation and Riding Hood is the third? I don't, don't answer. I don't want to know. 
have had their kingdoms fragment, fragmented by warring trolls, giants, and goblins. Two centuries after Snow White, played by Cameron Mannheim, and Cinderella, played what? by Anne Rar- Margaret, had their adventures, the Nine Kingdoms readies themselves for the coronation of Prince Windle, Snow White's grandson, to the throne of the Fourth Kingdom. But an evil once queen, Diane Weist, has freed herself from prison and yes. turns the prince into a golden retriever. <laughs> no, read no more. I don't care. You wait, can't. wait. Wendell, by means of a magic mirror, escapes into a hitherto unknown 10th kingdom, which is modern-day New York City, and meets Virginia Lewis, played by, I please guess, guess who plays the lead. The- <laughs> well, well, give me like an age range or something. Yeah, now explain okay. to the people what happened and why they, we're not editing any of it out, so we've been just dead air for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> I lost power. Yeah. I got the spiral of death because the internet went out. Okay. So where we left off is we were revisiting that in the year 2000, shortly before this movie was made, Scott Cohen, also known as Max Medina appeared in a made for TV miniseries called the 10th kingdom about rival rival fairy tale if you try to explain that plot again, my brain will explode. Okay, but you were, gonna, you, you were guessing who the lead is. Also, I'm going to finish this plot summary because you need to know the rest of the plot summary. And I said, give but, me an age range and then you disappear. Okay, Wendell by means. Okay, this is where we left off. Wendell by means of a magic mirror escapes into a hitherto unknown 10th kingdom, modern day New York City and meets Virginia Lewis played by... And I would, I need an age range of Virginia Lou. Like, give me any context for who could play this. She's now, I mean, at the time she was like bred and bushy tailed. She's probably now like in her mid to late 40s. I, like, I don't know why, but there's something so deep in me that says it's Alyssa Milano. Ooh, not quite, but okay. Kimberly Williams Paisley. That's the same. They're the same. And, and her father, Tony Lewis, played by John Larroquette, pursued by trolls, cops, and a wolf in man's form, Scott Cohen, the three blunder uh. back into the Nine Kingdoms and begin their adventures to restore Wendell to his human form and throne and find the magic mirror that will take Tony and Virginia back home, all the while unknowing that Virginia already has a connection to the Nine Kingdoms that may prove to be deadly before we reach Happily Ever After. I rem- all I remember from this is that Max Medina played a wolf because I just remember at one point he like reveals his tail because he's not like it's not animated it's live action and he's not like he still has his face he just like has a tail yeah yes. and we watched okay. this it was like every Sunday night on ABC or one of the shit yes. it was like a five part mini series that we watched yeah I don't know why but like watching that and watching the search for JFK Jr.'s plane and body are enmeshed together in my mind like just that like things mom made me watch that traumatized me (laughs) sure right obviously um yeah so that's who scott cohen is he's also in this movie but because we have this like nostalgic love for him and because honestly he is a good actor and he has some very charming moments in this movie he gets he gets some leeway that he does not because he's kind of a dick to her he He is a dick boss in a way that's sort of like, can you be a a dick and be hitting on her? It's also we don't get the backstory until like two thirds of the way through the movie. Yeah, so like there's clearly history there, but it's not clear what that history is. And the like main moment that's like, whoa, buddy, is that they're out to dinner like with work colleagues and 
he like calls her on all her bullshit and which, john like, granted, what they're out to dinner with work colleagues and john yes Hamm. and like some of what he's saying is has aspects of the truth but the way he is saying it is so unbelievably like rude and awful it's and- back it harkens back to the era of rom-com of like guy is in love with you so he's like a dick to you it's just it just yes. and it just it's not we don't love it we don't love to see i it. don't the thing that the reason that i forgive it in this movie a little more than i think i would in other movies is that because i mean like he absolutely shouldn't have done it he is a, it is a dick move but it's not just that he like likes her so he's pulling at her pigtails it's clear from that scene that it's coming from his pain and hurt about like whatever went down between them which at that point in the movie we don't know we find out later that they he was friend college friends with her he went to college with her and her brother he used her brother's age they dated in college um and they were like gonna be you know, the next big thing. They inspired each other. He was going to write the great American novel. She was going to be a painter. They were going to live this like life. It all fell apart. They, I think hurt each other. And so it's clear in that scene that like, he is still deeply hurt by that. And that's where this is coming from. And that doesn't excuse it, but it does explain it. And it's not just like, like the, the rom-com thing of like, I'm a dick because, right, like, I mean because I like you, so I'm going to pull your pigtails. It's like, it, again, it's much more nuanced than um, most rom-coms, most yes. movies. Yes. The other thing I liked about it is, like, so she basically been at her brother's wedding because it's a 2001 rom-com, so we culminate in a wedding. Um, <laughs> Shakespeare? Tw- 2001 rom-coms. All they have in common ends in a wedding. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, we, he like confesses his love for her and she's basically like, I'm with Helen. And she's finally like come out and, and in this like lovely scene with her mother, her mother basically like basically tells her that she loves her in this story of how she, um, doesn't do things if she, it can't be perfect, essentially like the story of her being in a play and she quit the play because her scene partner wasn't good which like the child did not say that but I get what we're doing um and then her mother says like she's a lovely woman like basically her mother's like I know you're in a relationship with a woman and it's fine and it's sort of like lovely and they cry and hug right um and so then she brings uh she apologizes to Helen and brings her to her brother's wedding and you get a hilarious montage of like the aunts and the people being like just like asking offensive questions and being confused by lesbianism but then he doesn't know this Um, he arrives to the wedding late and he shows up and meets her on the roof and confesses his love. And she's like, I'm with Helen. We can't be together. And that you think is sort of the end. She and Helen go on to have like roughly a year long. We like see them at Christmas. We like, they move in together. They like have a relationship. Um, the worst, the saddest, sorry, just a little interjection. Like the saddest part of this movie is that they move into Helen's apartment when Jessica has this like, like, there's stairs in her apartment and then she's got this like spiral staircase up to like a roof garden and they she, move into helen's she, apartment with her they bed on the floor right she doesn't even have a fucking bed i was like what's happening why are, are we not moving into the apartment this is new york real estate like are we not 
did I miss the part where like her apartment is fucking amazing? Okay, great. Okay, thank you. I just rented an apartment. So I just went through Los Angeles real estate hell, which I've never looked for an apartment in Manhattan or in any of the New York boroughs. So I can believe that that's worse. But that makes me never want to fucking move there because LA apartment hunting is a fucking nightmare. I saw so many trash apartments and the good ones you find, you have to like jump on and also sell a kidney to afford. It's just like awful. And I finally found this apartment that I like love and I'm going to decorate and I'm going to make it beautiful. And I had the thought of like, well, what if I fall in love with someone and they want to move in together? I was like, well, they have to move in with me because I am not leaving this apartment. I'm never apartment hunting. Right. <laughs> like the idea yeah. that she would give up that apartment for Helen, whose bed is on the floor. And she's not 22. Absurd. She's a woman in her late twenties or early thirties. She needs a fucking bed frame. Anyway, they have a relationship and it's cute. Truly absurd. Al- absurd. Right. They ultimately break up because Helen wants essentially to have a, a more active sexual relationship with her partner. And Jessica cannot give that to her. And it's sort of a like, but we're best friends and we talk all the time and I love you so much. It's sort of like a, a sweet, sad breakup when you're like, oh, I like both these people and I want them both to be happy and I want them to work together, but they want, they don't, they are different people. Yes. Um, and, and then you see her run into in another Ephronian moment. If, is this a word or did I invent it? I think I invented it. I'm going to, I'm let this go down in history. She runs into Max Medina at a bookstore and, um, she's, he, she's basically, he, he had quit the newspaper and started to write and she had quit the newspaper and started to paint. And they sort of like the things that they had inspired each other about, they are doing again, but they got there on their own and then came back together. And yeah. I liked that. It was like, they, they got there on their own. Right. And also like, I would argue that the r- romantic relationship we're rooting for, or were invested in, in this movie is just kind of Helen who stay friends. We see them have lunch. We see Helen ask about Max Medina and they sort of like, you get that they have a relationship still and they're still close and they're still fulfilling each other in that way. But Helen's now with a woman who it's implied is fulfilling her sexually. And we, you know, I think can assume that Jessica and Max Medina end up together. Right. And it's sort of sad and it's sort of like, like I at halfway through this movie I was like she's gonna leave Helen to be with a man and I'm gonna be annoyed and I think the fact that like Helen leaves her and it and it's not implied to be like a Jessica truly loved Helen she truly was invested in that relationship neither of these women are straight women like testing the waters of gayness and then like hopping back out like these are both two queer women one of whom ends up with a woman and one of whom ends up with a man right and that it felt like, okay, I, that feels correct. Like, I know these women, that feels like an honest telling of this story. No one's trying on gayness for the sake of trying on gayness. And it doesn't negate her queerness at all. The fact that she ends up in a, I mean, and again, it's implied, like they run into each other. We don't ever like get any confirmation that they end up together, but it is implied that she will at least explore a a relationship with this man. So like assuming she ends up in a hetero relationship, it doesn't negate her queerness. And that is evidenced by the fact that like, she has given up her career in order to paint. She has, I found this article on auto straddle that I'll link to in the show notes, but talking about how 
it's written by a Jewish woman and it she talks about how like in the end she we see that Jessica has stopped straightening her curly like Jewish hair and it looks great all like 2001 scrunched and like so the fact that like she may end up in a hetero relationship does not negate this exploration that she's had this queerness that she's discovered and what that has meant for all the other things that she has discovered and the ways in which that's affected her life and um yeah i i also expected like when he confessed his love to her at the wedding i half expected her to be like this is what i've been waiting for mm-hmm. like i've been waiting for you to figure your shit out and come around and like break helen's heart and i was going to be super pissed yeah um and i am so glad that that's not what this was and that it and that there's never any question that jessica loves helen or vice versa it's just or is about, attracted like, to her right attracted to she enjoys sex with her it's just to quote hacks a show you need to watch i feel like sometimes she just want to get stick down (laughs) that's okay maybe that's what is more sexually fulfilling to her right yeah yeah i think like this this movie is exploring a lot of really interesting questions about like love and sex and what that looks like and and desire and and all of that i don't know it was the, it was a far sort of, more interesting movie than i expected and sort of the line between like friendship and an intimate mm-hmm. relationship like we have done both bridesmaids and girls trip on this podcast which i think it, we have mostly argued are not romantic comedies because they are about f- friendships between women and a friend of mine shouted aaron moore pointed out that like those are also romantic relationships. Like some of our greatest loves, including mine with Aaron Moore, are about, are, are between platonic female, like female friendships, especially in yours and my life are some of our greatest loves. And we don't, we maybe don't put the same amount of weight on those as we do on romantic relationships. Now, granted, I have never had a sexual relationship with a woman. I have never had a sexual relationship with any of my close female friends. But what this movie is doing is saying like, both of those things are so important. And so like, where's the line between having like a passionate, intimate, like deeply deep relationship with someone who you might not have or have less of a sexual attraction to and it's sort of holding both of those things, like wanting to have a good, healthy sexual relationship and also wanting to have a deep personal, emotional relationship in the same regard. And sometimes they can right. be one and the same. And sometimes you get them from two different or more than two different people. And all of that is okay and correct. I'd also like to believe that like, because Jessica and his character's name is Josh, um, Max Medina <laughs> have like done the work separately to like make themselves happy. Yeah. Um, or you know, like I, I don't I kind of hate the old like old adage of like you need to be happy in order to be in a relationship. But they've done the work but, like, to be a healthy person like, who can serve to like person to figure out what they need. Like that I think like part of what the movie like hopefully now she can get some like emotional fulfillment from him as well in addition to the sexual fulfillment that she wasn't getting from him when they were i don't know what like 22 and 20 you know yeah yeah 
Which isn't that Ephronian in itself, because isn't that what When Harry Met Sally is about? It's about two people growing into people worthy of the other one. Yes. Um, isn't that also what Friends with Kids is about? Is Friends with Kids not about two people over a long friendship growing into two people worthy of the other one? Yes. Right. Like, is the thesis of both Jennifer Westfeld and Nora Ephron's career like each person is valid and important and you are an, your own unique individual person who be, who does their work and becomes someone who can complement another person. Right. There's no sort of like, this person made me wholeness. Right. Right. Yeah. Do I really? teach a college course on the, on the Ephronian theory of film? <laughs> I mean, if you could find a college to pay you to do it. Excuse me. I have a master's degree in film. DePaul not University. I'm not questioning your qualifications. I'm questioning a college willing to pay you to do that. I'm going to email some people. Look, I went to film school. I could do this shit. Here are the things that didn't hold up. The following references. Nine West. Kenneth Cole. Perspectives. Today I learned that Nine West and Kenneth Cole were no longer in business. I mean, they may still be in business, but like there's nothing more late 90s, early aughts than like a Kenneth Cole Nine West reference and prescriptives as a skincare line. When she, when she was like, here's how I layer my lipsticks. Because again, ahead of its time in the layering of lipsticks. I'm, I believe Nine West might be out of business. But Kenneth Cole, I feel like, is still growing strong. I mean, they haven't changed their aesthetic from like a very square-toed shoe. And at one point, she actually was wearing those like black platform with like the strappy thing that we all wore or like elastic piece that we all wore in the 90s. Yeah, it was good. It Love was it. a good look. Keep going. That was it. Those three. Nine West, Kenneth Cole, prescriptives. Other than that. And they came like they came in rapid succession. And I was like, in case you were wondering when in time we are, it's 2001. Oh, can I say one thing that did hold up? Because very rarely in a movie do you hear a diabetes joke that works all the time. It's like ill-informed people eat sweets and get diabetes. And this time the mother said something about trying to set her daughter up with someone and she's like he's a drug addict and the and the mother's like well I didn't know that and she was like he was blonde pale and had track marks and the mother goes I just thought he had diabetes <laughs> as a woman with more than three bruises on her body currently from regularly injecting herself with needles because I am a diabetic the that joke made me laugh there was some really funny jokes and this movie was quite funny. Also, I do, I mean, we talked about the actress that plays the mom, but like she was spectacular. Gorgeous. Like just a, some of the best moments of this movie. Yeah. Both both comedic and like more poignant. She Where do I know her moments. from? Because I looked up her IMDb and couldn't figure it out. But I know that woman's face. She's, I mean, she's probably just like New York actor. Royalty. She's on Law and Order all the time. She played on SVU. No, on regular Law and Order, she plays a defense attorney who shows up very frequently. Um, at the end, when they're like having lunch, they're both wearing like 
floral skirts, but they're wearing the like exact floral skirt we all had in 2001. That was like a solid color with like complimentary colored, large flowers on it. And he wore it with a t-shirt and a jean jacket. And as I'm saying that, I think I have a version of that outfit now. So it's all come back in style and I'm happy about it. Any other thoughts? We both liked this movie more than we thought we would. We did. We both liked this movie. What are we doing next? Um, next week we are watching. I cannot wait to hear your predictions on that. Oh God, what is it? What? What is it? You're making me nervous. Next week we Actually, are. I watching just remembered what it is. America's Sweethearts, a movie I love and am very excited to watch, and will not hold up. Wow, we did not think this through. This is like a Cusack on Cusack month. I'm okay with it. I mean, we've done like no John Cusick movies. We had to get them all in there. This movie will not hold up at all. Um, no, they're literally going to put Julia Roberts in a fat suit and we're all, it's supposed to be a joke. Yeah. Um, but Billy Crystal will be there. So it's going to be Billy funny. Crystal will be there and he wrote it. This yeah. is a Billy Crystal joint. Also, we get what I like, what I was saying I think we're going to get what I wanted in serendipity, which is like a John Cusack with like a darkness. Oh yeah. He's like fully borderline abuse. He like drives a car through a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> but we love it. So. Or like end up with Julia Roberts, your ex-wife's sister. <laughs> I cannot wait. You know what else we're going to get? Some beautiful Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria oh, being yeah. offensive again, maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, join us in two weeks for the wild ride that will be America's Sweetheart. Join us in two weeks to hear us be deeply apologetic of this problematic movie. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm can very find excited us? to watch it. You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Um, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast. You obviously found us because you're here, but while you're at that platform, you can rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends because we like doing this and we want to keep doing this and we'd like to make money from doing this because capitalism rules the society. This is why we shouldn't do this with wine. Okay, I'm done. Okay, great. Bye. Thank you. Bye.